Hello and welcome to season two of the Life Daily podcast. I'm the host, Nina, and today I'm having a conversation with Brennan Kumarasamy. He is the founder of the YouTube channel Master Talk, on which he shares content to help the world master the art of public speaking. But he also coaches executives on how to communicate. Brennan's story is inspiring as he is the youngest communication coach in the world. If you're new here, let me tell you a bit more about this podcast. This podcast is about passions and wellness, but most specifically about how passions can help us overcome our fears. Each guest shares their passion and positivity that helps them live the life they live. <laughs> so if you're interested, then make sure to follow the podcast on different platforms such as YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. On this episode, though, we're going to talk about the pressure of finding a passion. Because let's be honest, for some, it's a lot of pressure to find their passion and sometimes it can freeze them and then they're stuck and they don't know how to move forward. If you feel that way, Brennan explains that instead of asking yourself what you're passionate about, you might want to ask yourself what the world needs you to do right now. If you want to hear more about Brendan's mindset and you also want to receive valuable advice, then make sure to keep listening to this episode. Brendan will tell you how you can start improving your public speaking skills right now, no matter your profession, no matter where you are in the world. He also explains how you can overcome your fear of public speaking. He will also give you tips on how to speak in a language other than your mother tongue. Don't hesitate to check his work on YouTube. His YouTube channel once more is Master Talk. And if you want to have access to more content, then make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram. It's the life they live underscore podcast. Hi, Brendan. Thank you very much for being on this podcast. How are you doing? Very good, Nina. And thanks for having me. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Um, I'm very excited to be having this conversation. It's the first time that I do a podcast episode on public speaking. Um, I want to give you the opportunity, though, to introduce yourself and tell us whatever you want to say about yourself. Yeah, for sure. Happy to. So, yeah, my name is Brendan Kumarasamy. I'm the founder of Master Talk. Master Talk is a YouTube channel I started a few years ago to help the world master the art of communication and public speaking. And then I also coach executives on how to speak. Great. Well, thank you very much. Uh, do you want to tell us, maybe this is the kind of uh, question that people ask you probably very often, but if we just start with the basics, why uh, you started the YouTube channel Master Talk? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It's, it's a story worth telling. <laughs> <laughs> it's a story worth repeating. So yeah, when, when I was in university, Nina, I used to do these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while other guys my age were playing, you know, football or baseball or, or basketball or something else really dangerous that I probably wouldn't play, I instead did presentations competitively. So believe it or not, that's what I spent most of my time doing. And that's how I learned how to speak. But then as new students were entering that case competition program, We didn't really have a speech coach, so I started coaching them for free, mostly, just to help them. And then a few years went by, and I realized everything that I was sharing with them wasn't available on the internet. Because when I was looking at a lot of the YouTube videos, when I was around 22, so this was three, four years ago, 
lot of that stuff didn't really exist. You know, a lot of advice you hear is like, uh, you should like be yourself or get up on stage. So I just started making videos in my mom's basement. And then one thing led to another and, and Mass Truck turned into a, you know, a decent sized business and, and a mission to help every human being become great communicators. Great. Uh, it's kind of funny to me because you just said that you went to university and you learned how to speak. So that seems funny because that's what you do normally, you know, when you're a baby, you start learning how to speak. So what is the difference between learning how to speak and then mastering the art of public speaking? Mm, that's a powerful question. Yeah, I would say you're, you're absolutely right. You know, all of us learn to speak at a younger age. But I would say the difference in mastering the art of communication and public speaking is where mastery comes in, where we spend a lot more hours to refine our craft. And the challenge that most of us have, Nina, is when we're growing up as kids in an education system, think high school, college, etc. In those environments, a lot of the presentations aren't really fun. So there's a lot of issues with that. So number one, every presentation is mandatory. So, mm -hmm. so we don't say something like, oh, Nina, do you want to get breakfast and present all day? Nobody says that. Right? Nobody does that. So every presentation is boring. The second thing that happens in the education system is that every single presentation is a topic that you don't get to choose. So high school isn't, oh, Nina, what are you passionate about? What do you want to present? No, it's, can you talk about Shakespeare and the Renaissance? And you're like, mm -hmm. what Renaissance? So you start doing presentations on that. And then the third piece is that every presentation is tied to a punishment. So it's never Nina's going to present something about podcasts and we're all going to start clapping for her. No, it's, by the way, Nina, you got to give this presentation you don't care about. And if you don't do a good job, that's 30% of your grade. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stress when it comes to presentations. So this is why throughout our life, a lot of us don't really get great at communication because we're taught to see it as a chore. But then when, you, when I got to university, in my case, the reason I got better was because I had fun doing it, because of that specific case competition program. But you're right in the sense that most of us uh, don't really get the opportunity to do those types of things. Yeah, unfortunately, it's with many things other than just uh, public speaking. Like if I think of reading, for example, it's very different when I choose the book I want to read and when at university they tell me, okay, you have to read that book, then it's certainly a bit less fun and it become a core like you were doing. Um, so I was not thinking of asking you this question that early on, but then what do you do if you have to present on a topic that you're not passionate about? Um, because that seems more difficult, right? It's people often tell you um, when you enter a conversation with a stranger, someone you don't know, how do you grab their interest? You talk about something they're passionate about, but what if you don't have that option then? Yeah, it's a great follow-up. So, so the way I think about this, Nina, is in the context of presentations, what I always recommend is start with something you are passionate about. And why am I saying that? I'm saying that because that is the environment where you'll have fun practicing. But then, after you master that presentation, use the skills that you learned from that to then do the boring presentation. So I'll give you an example with me. So I worked at, in, in technology for a few years before I started doing this full time. And a lot of the presentations in corporate aren't super fun, right? It's not like, hello, everybody, we're going to talk about this, something exciting. Like, no, it's like, uh, welcome to the status update, and this is the presentation. But the reason I presented so well in those environments had nothing to do with corporate. Because I did case competitions in university, and I got really good at communication there, I brought all of those skills 
into my corporate presentation. So what I would say, so let's say I was coaching you as an example, because this would be useful for the audience. Mm -hmm. I would encourage you to make a five-minute presentation of your own podcast. So let's say you're speaking about your podcast, you're getting people to listen to it. Well, how would you explain it in five minutes? You don't have to do that today, which is an exercise. And then what happens is, well, you would be more invested because you say, well, if Brendan tells me to make this presentation, I go present it, more people will listen to the podcast. But that motivation that you have will then make you a better speaker in general, including the ones that are boring topics to present. Okay, great. Yeah, so it does come also, um, like your motivation is, of course, also important. Actually, I... I wanted to talk to you a bit about that now that we're talking about um, passions, because obviously having a podcast that's about passions and wellness, I do think a lot about what it means to 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 have a a passion. And um, I've seen some of your episodes before, and I think what correct me if I'm wrong, but one of your um, ideas, I don't know if I can say it like that, is that it's not just about passion, but it's also about the decisions you, you make, right? If you just say, okay, I'm passionate, but you don't do anything, then yeah, well, is what are you, where are you going to go with that? Um, but yeah, so where, where does passion, what is the importance in pa of passion in your eye? Because for example, um, if I look at Steve Jobs, for example, one of his quotes is that you have to be passionate in life if you want to go far and work on something because of course if you're not passionate about what you're doing you're gonna potentially give up because it's hard to every day wake up and doing something you're not passionate about so yeah what is what is the importance of passion to to you yeah absolutely and, and you absolutely nailed it you're, you're completely right on that idea nina and just to build on what you said you know the problem that i have with passion is it's easy advice to give mm -hmm. so let's say you have somebody like steve jobs who's, who, who's able to you know find his passion make it align you know, it's easy for him to go, yeah, you should just follow your passion. It's just, it's interesting how every billionaire says the same thing. And I don't see billionaire as in, like, it's a number that matters. But it's just funny that, like, all of them say the same thing. Like, Mark Zuckerberg goes, you should follow your passion. But I'm like, yeah, but your passion wasn't so fun because there's a lot of things you did at Facebook that was super, like, hard. Like, building the product and building the team. So the way that I think about this is I think following your passion is challenging for most of us. Because passions are very vague. You can be passionate about anything. You're passionate about your dog, if you have a dog. You're passionate about your know, cat. You can be passionate about your family. But you can't build a, a lifestyle around that. And I always like to say, Nina, that I got really lucky. Because it turned out that something I really like to do is also something that makes a lot of money. Right? If I'm being perfectly honest. Because in coaching, if you're really good at coaching, and you're coaching a lot of these executives, and it turns out my gift was communication coaching. Like, what are the odds, right? Well, that's a high-demand skill that pays a lot of money. So I was able to align my passion. So it's easy for me now to go, Nina, you should totally follow your passion. But it's useless advice because I just got lucky in many ways. Another piece that I'll say, going back to what you said, that I speak about a lot, the idea of decisions versus passions, is up until, like, maybe four years ago, five years ago, before I started university, I didn't really was passionate about anything. I focused a lot more on decisions. So what does that mean? That means instead of asking yourself, what are you passionate about? Ask yourself a different question that I'll repeat twice. And the question is, what does the world need you most to do right now and why? So when I was 12 years old, Nina, which I guess wasn't too long ago, I asked myself that question 
And it was obvious it was being accounted. Why? Because my parents were minimum wage workers. They didn't have a lot of money. And I was really bad at school except for math. I was really good at math, but every other subject I struggled with. So I made the decision. What the world needs me to do is not to be a YouTuber. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It was to get a job, make $100,000 a year as an accountant, so my mom doesn't have to work at that bloody factory. So I started getting really good at grades. I studied really hard, and I made a decision to be an accountant. Then when I got to university, I realized that a lot of the top accounting firms in the world, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Deloitte, Ernst & Young, KPMG, a lot of the students who were getting internships at those jobs did case competitions. So I was like, what's a case competition? I don't care what that is. I just want a job in accounting. So I made the decision, once again, no passion here. I made the decision to do case competition so I can get that job in accounting. A lot of people do it for that reason. So then I did those case competitions and then I found this odd obsession with them. I started really liking them. I was like, wow, this case competition thing makes sense. So I got the job in accounting. And by the way, this, all of this make, will make sense in the end. And then I get the job in accounting. And then after that, I get a job in consulting. And I was like, oh, a lot of these people who do cases get jobs at McKinsey, at IBM. So I studied really hard, once again, not really following my passion. It was, like, it was just more interesting than doing a job in accounting. And it was going to make me more money. So I started getting a job in consulting. But here's the thing. As I was getting a job in consulting, I got really good at coaching other people on how to speak because a lot of the students wanted jobs too. So I started coaching them and then I realized after three years I looked back and I was the youngest communication coach in the world. And that's how Master Talk started. So what's the punchline? If I had followed my passion, I never would have got to Master Talk. But the problem with most people is they don't make decisions. So they just sit there and just pray that their passion is just going to fall out of the sky when the priority is just going, what do you need right now? And just doing that. Yeah, yeah, I definitely understand what, what you say. I think even if we maybe disagree on some points, we agree on others. Um, because I do agree with you, if you have a passion, but you don't, well, if you wait for your passion to come and you don't take action, obviously, then you're not going to get very far. But I do believe in the importance of passions. Obviously, that's why I also did this podcast. And that's why I interview guests on their passions, but all my guests, what they have in common is they, they, they took action. They, they created a project or they, they, they went abroad somewhere and, um, they benefit from, from that passion, if I may say. Um, so yeah, I do understand what you say about, about decisions also and about uh, looking at what the world needs you to do. It just seems, I don't know, a bit maybe, um, not really, demotivating but if you think okay the world needs me to do that like let's say i'm not good at math but let's say i was good at math and then i would be like okay so i'm good at math so i'm gonna continue in that path but i don't like math you know so that's also tricky mm -hmm. then how do you combine what the world needs you to do with uh, what you enjoy doing absolutely i love the pushback but this is, these are the fun episodes for me <laughs> so by the way i don't think we disagree mm -hmm. i think we're on the same page we're just looking at the coin from different angles, right? So let's say we take a population, right? Let's say of 100 people. So I would say five or 10 of them early in life, like probably at 10 years old, 15 years old, 20. Let's just put numbers here to make this simple. To yeah, understand. Yeah. It's probably not five or 10, but let's just say it is. Like Elizabeth Gilbert is a great example of that, right? She's the, she's the author of Eat, Pray, Love. So she always wanted to be an author. She always wanted to write. That was her passion. And she was able to monetize that. 
because a lot of authors can monetize that gift. And I would argue I'm also one of those five tip people where, you know, I made decisions, but eventually very early in life, like, because I love what I do. I love coaching clients. I love doing podcasts. It's my thing. It's super high energy. And, and I'm financially compensated for it. So I'll probably do the rest of my life. But I would argue, right, that 90% of people don't really know what they're passionate about, right? So they're kind of stuck in this in-between state, just based on the thousands of people I talk to, where they're like, uh, I don't really know what I'm passionate about. I don't really know what to do. And they're kind of stuck there. So this is why I give that advice. So you're right in the sense that, oh, if you just do what the world needs you to do, you might end up struggling. So kind of let me add like a compromise that I think yeah, makes sense more. So, so the way that I would say it is more like, if you're stuck, you should move in a direction that still benefits you. Like here, here's a thought process I always like to share is I'm, I'm a big fan of this idea that you're better off being well, that you're better off being wealthy and miserable. And I know this is weird. And the reason I say that is because it gives you more time to think. Whereas most people in society, they're just struggling to pay their bills. So when they're struggling to pay their bills, they don't have time to think about their passion. Right? That's, that's always the place of empathy I come from. So I'll give you an example with me. I didn't have time to think about my passions until maybe four years ago. I really didn't care about passions because I was the only breadwinner in my family. Right? My mom was like almost retired. She was work, making like 10 bucks an hour. We had a lot of bills. My dad was an alcoholic. So like we didn't have any like ways of providing. So I wasn't thinking about, oh, I should like start a project of like an art. Pro like I was just like, no, like I need to provide. And I feel most people are in that state. So the priority for me is always get out of that survival as quickly as possible. And that's why I'm a much bigger fan of maybe a different way of rephrasing the question that I, that I also need to think about is what type of skill set can you use and leverage so that you can monetize it as quickly as possible? So that when you monetize it as quickly as possible, you're now able to think a lot more. So what happened with me is around 20 or 21, I already started making good money as a consultant. But because I was so young, I reinvested all that extra time because I didn't have to worry about money anymore on what do I want my purpose to be. But I also think there's different steps to the game. But my worry is always that people follow their passion and that they become starving artists. And if they're happy with that, it's totally fine. But I also think that there's an in-between, there's a balance between, hey, I got three kids and I'm a single mother, and let's find our passion. So I think if we can balance the two where we use income as a way to free up our time, we can then use that time to think about what we actually want to do in life. Yeah, and that I definitely, yeah, I think so. And I also definitely agree on um, not thinking in extreme ways. You know, it's like, or I follow my passion or I don't follow my passion and I do something I don't like. It's not like that uh, nothing or everything uh, type of thinking. So, and also just adding up on that, um, what I think, I don't know if maybe sometimes people forget, but if you uh, start a project that you're passionate about, it's not always going to be, you know, rainbow roses and nice. Like me, for example, I'm doing the podcast and what I like the most is having those conversations with guests, but that's actually like, I don't know, maybe 20% of what I do because then you also have to be on social media. You have, you know, to contact the guests, you have to prepare the episodes, do the editing. So what I want to say is... Um, that when you start a project that you're passionate about, you're, I think, most of the time not going to only 
do what makes you uh, passionate, but you also have all those other other like things that add up, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and I think another small add to that is um, not every passion, because I, I think that's the point you're arguing as well, but feel free to correct me. Mm-hmm. Not every passion has to be monetizable either. Like, I think the ideal outcome for people, for me, this is the way I see it, is like you start with, okay, if, if, you, if you don't come from a lot of money, because that's the, always the place, because most people make under $100,000 a year, right? That's always the frame I come from. I always, go, I always give advice that applies to the majority. So then the first place is going, okay, uh, analyzing all of my skill sets and what the marketplace offers, what is one guaranteed way for me to make myself sustainable, where I don't have to worry about money and all that stuff, which I think is most people's problem. And then after that, the next place is now, now that I have that security, how do I now free up 20% of my time to side hustle something else, which is what you're doing with the podcast. And what I started doing with Master Talk, frankly, I wasn't trying to make money. I was just making videos for fun in my basement, like right over there, actually, on a couch. And the, But because I was making good money, I didn't have to stress about my passion being monetizable because I was doing really well. But then the third step was... I side hustled that thing for like two years and a half until it replaced all my income and now I do this full time. So that's kind of like the three-pronged approach ideally in people's life. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I have to be honest also in the sense that um, I also have the the chance to be, you know, comfortable. So I have the time to do this podcast. So it's very different from someone who um, doesn't have the, the, the free time simply. So that's why I understand what you're saying then maybe correct me if I'm wrong also, but it's easy to say follow your passion if you're, for example, struggling to finish the month and you need to work, uh, you know, and you don't have that free time that others may have. Absolutely. And and by the way, there, there's nothing that you said that I've disagreed with, by the way. I think, I think you're on point with everything. It's it's just the, the reason I say that. It's not to attack on people who have, who have money and all that stuff. I, I just was never satisfied with the answers that we were getting from other thought leaders. Because they would always go follow your passion. And there's so many friends that I talk to who just don't and then have a bunch of reasons why they don't. I'm going, like, there should be, like, a layered answer here. And by the way, same thing with communication, by the way. Like, when I, when I started watching a bunch of YouTube videos, a lot of the advice was just, you should be yourself. And I'm like, like, what? What are you talking about? Like, that's, that doesn't help people. So it's all about going into the layers. But, but to your point, which, which I love, that's why I love these types of conversation, is I don't have the answer either. You know? it's, and that's why it's cool to get your perspective because then I go, then I have to switch the way that I think about passion. So I'm always trying to learn too. So I love the perspective. Yeah, I mean, also that's why I love the podcast, to talk with people and also from different parts of the world and that have maybe different uh, perspectives. I think that's always uh, interesting. So I think we had a good talk about passion and... Um, I think the, the, the end message here is that, I mean, I still think, you know, passion is important, but it's more about uh, how do you use that passion, basically? How do you utilize your your passion? How do you make use of it? And also understanding that it's not all black or white, like, or I have a passion or I don't have a passion. And if I don't have a passion, I just stay stuck and not do anything, basically. So I think that would be a good way to, to <laughs> conclude that that part. And just to go back a bit more to to public speaking, um, I think for some it may be a bit overwhelmed to think, okay, I'm going to master the art of public speaking because that sounds like, you know, a big mountain you have to climb. So what would be the first step? Like where do where does someone start if they want to become a better public speaker? 
Absolutely. I would say the first step for me, Nina, is more of a mindset question rather than a tactic. So, of course, I've got a bunch of tactics to share. But I'll say the first piece is really removing that mindset. So we talked earlier in the show about, you know, the challenges. Why do most people grow up thinking that communication is a chore, right? Because all your presentations are mandatory. Like, why, why would you think of that as a cool thing to do if, if all you're doing is talking about Shakespeare? I mean, no offense to Shakespeare. I'm sure he's done great work. But, but now the question becomes, how do we reverse that mindset? Or how do we start thinking about it? So for me, the first thing always is a question. And the question is simply this. How would the world change if you were an exceptional communicator? Or how would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? Either or both, both work. So what this does is it helps us to frame communication from a positive thing. So for example, let's say once again I was coaching because I think that helps people. And I was saying, okay, how, how would the world change? Well, if you, if you were like, let's say, 10 times better than you already are as a communicator, you'll reach more people, your podcast will grow, you might speak on a stage or two and get more exposure to, to the incredible message you're sharing here. But for everyone, it's different. So let's say somebody else, it might be building a better relationship with their wife or husband. For somebody else, it might be the relationship with their children. For somebody else, it might be when they travel and they talk to strangers, they're nervous, they don't want to speak to them, but because they get better at communication, they're able to build that rapport with those individuals. So everyone has their own reasons. And what this question allows us to do is it helps us really think about what are those reasons for us. And then when we get to those reasons, it creates a motivation for us to master communication. Because if the, the biggest challenge with communication, honestly, is the accountability, like practicing every day. And most people don't want to do that. So I would start there. Yeah, definitely. I would also agree that it's important to understand what the benefits are going to be to you because you might think, okay, well, what's the, what am I going to gain from better uh, communicating with, I don't know, my, my boss or I'm saying like random stuff now or my family. So I guess what you're saying is you have to take the time also to understand what, why you want to do it and why you want to improve so that you can, that's what you're saying, right? Start with the right mindset and think of the, the benefits and what you're going to gain from, from that whole journey of improving your, uh, public speaking skills. And, um, okay. So then that would be the kind of where, where to start. Um, and I think something that's very common for people is like the, the fear of, of public speaking. So, um, you, you say, I think, right, the, the goal of uh, Master Talk is to, really overcome that fear of public speaking and that's kind of funny because with the podcast I also like to say that uh, I think passions can also help overcome fear so what would you say maybe to to people that feel like they are kind of that are like stuck because of of their fear how do you get past that fear right so there's kind of two perspectives here that I'll share hopefully one of them lands for people so the first perspective is momentum so the the key here is can you do the smallest, easiest thing and get really good at communication really quickly? So I'll give an example. One of the exercises I teach in my videos is called the random word exercise, where you pick a random word like phone or pistachios or screen, and you make presentations out of thin air. So then people always go, I can't do that exercise, it's too difficult. Uh, what will people think of me, blah, blah, blah. And then when I force people to do them, they do it you know, once, and they're like, uh, you know, like, a uh, pen is, uh, and they're not really good. And then after 10, 15 times, they go, oh, it's actually not bad. I can actually do this. 
But then after they do it a hundred times, they go, this exercise is easy. But then I always go to those people and I go, didn't you say a hundred times ago that uh, you weren't able to do the exercise? And they said, oh, you're right. So the key is, I always ask them this question, what else is possible through communication? So the easiest way to break fear is momentum. Do something really easy with communication, like the random word exercise, and just practice it five times a day. And think about it. The exercise literally takes 60 seconds. So if you do it five minutes a day, you don't even need a partner to do this. You can just do it five minutes a day every day. And after a year, you'll have done it over a thousand times. So that's my first recommend. The other piece is the idea is more of a mindset piece, is the idea of fear versus message. So let's take a boxing ring as an example. Let's say one side of that, that ring is your fear. So the fear that comes with you know, communication, the fear that comes with speaking out your ideas in a meeting or any other setting. And the other side of the ring is your message. Why is it important for you to share that thing? Why does it matter for people? And the goal I want to emphasize here, Nina, is that the goal is not to remove the fear of communication. I don't think that's possible. I'll give you an example with me. Let's say somebody called me after this podcast was over and said, I need you to coach Elon Musk tomorrow. I'd probably shit my pants, right? Like, it's like well, it's Elon Musk. It doesn't matter how great of a, I'm a communicator. I'll still be stressed out. We all have the fear. But the goal is not to remove the fear, but rather make sure that the message knocks out the fear. Make sure that the message is so important that the fear gets knocked out. I'll give you the best example with me. For those who don't know my personal story, you know, I grew up in Montreal and my whole life, not only did I struggle with communication, I had to present in a language I didn't know because I studied in French my whole, my whole life. So I'd go up in my first grade classroom and I'd go, bonjour, and that was my life. Like I didn't know how to speak the language and I had to present it. So if I could become a great communicator, imagine what you could do. But the other piece of that is master talk as well. Why did I still press record the first time? I was a 22-year-old kid when I started master talk, making communication videos for executives. How does that like even make sense? Like some of these people have worked in the company longer than I was alive. So why did I press record? I was obviously scared. I had the insecurity. But the difference was the 15-year-old Nina can't afford a speech coach. The 13-year-old boy can't afford a speech coach. The version, obviously you're not 15 now, but you know who you were before, right? Those people don't have a speech coach in their 20s who's sharing free content. So I pressed record for them because if I don't press record, who else will? So my message is more important than the fear. And that's the key. Yeah. So you said a lot of things that I want to um, also talk about. But I think, yeah, what you said that is important is you have to basically, right, feel the fear and do it anyways. And I think that's also why I say that with uh, passions, I think you can overcome fear. Because I believe that if you're passionate about something, you can find that strength, um, if I may say, to like uh, find the passion more important than the fear, if that makes sense. So I think that also relates to what you were saying about um, public speaking, finding that message that like just takes over takes over the fear. So I definitely think that's a powerful message to, to share. And you were talking also about um, public speaking in another language so that's definitely one I'm interested about because I had the actually the same experience as you um, because I'm French and I went to an American school when I was 13 but I didn't speak English so mm -hmm. yeah that was 
like also a hard challenge for for me and uh, it's really hard to be a good public speaker when you feel like you don't even have the vocabulary to to speak so now i'm talking about when i was 13 but even nowadays um i live in the netherlands so i'm trying to learn to speak dutch and at work um i work at a store i have to speak with the customers right so i know the basics but i can't i'm not fluent and uh, so on a daily basis i find it hard to find the confidence to speak when i can clearly see that i am like not inferior maybe it's a bad word but when i'm not as good as the other people next to me in terms of um, that language i'm i'm not fluent so i don't know as much vocabulary as they know so um, talking specifically about um public speaking in a language that is not our mother tongue do you have any advice when it comes to when it comes to that Oh yeah, absolutely. So I mean, you have been in the same situation, just in opposite directions, yeah. <laughs> right? Which I love. So there's two key points that we always want to keep in mind when speaking in a second language. Is number one is vocabulary. To your point that you mentioned very well, it's something you know in French. Let's say we use use an example. You don't know the exact quote in English or the say. You're like, eh. Like for example, eye contact. I always translated that wrong in French. And it never made any sense. Mm -hmm. And then the other piece is culture. So because you grew up in a French culture, it's a lot easier for you to understand the nuances of the language, the way that people communicate. But that's not true in a second culture because you're new to that culture. You're new. You're newly immersed in the American life. So how do you do this? So three steps. This is what I did to keynote in French. Number one is always write a speech in your first language. So what I would do if I was you is I would literally write what you want to say in French because French is your first language. It's where you understand the culture, you understand the words. You're the most confident in that. Number two is translate that into the language you need to speak it in, which is going to be English in your case, French to English. But then this is the third part. Not many people think about it. Is do a vocabulary test. So what's a vocabulary test? A vocabulary test is where you present your English presentation to English native speakers. So somebody like me. So let's say you present, this is actually a fun example because we actually speak the same languages in verse first order. Mm -hmm. So let's say we were, let's say we were a team. Okay, we, let's say we went to university together and you need help with your English presentation. So you would write it in French, you would translate it to English and then you would present it to me. And then I would look at it and say, Actually, Nina, this is great, but you actually need to change these words because it doesn't apply, it doesn't work, the translation doesn't work. It, it's actually this. And then you change all of the vocabulary mistakes, and then you just present that, and you're perfect. So I would do the same thing with you, and I still do that today, by the way, when I have a big keynote in French, is I write everything in English, I translate it in French, and I have people like you give me feedback because your first language is French. So you'll look at me and go, ah, oh, Brendan, good, but these words don't make any sense in French. You have to, ch and I go, oh, right. So yeah, that's the trick. Yeah, and I do think it does help you to gain confidence to speak in another language because a lot of times you know that what you're saying is not grammatically correct, like you're aware of it, but you still have to force yourself to to talk in a language that's not yours. So I do think it it helps actually to to gain confidence. At, at public speaking, I don't know what you think about that, to speak in another language. I, it's not something I recommend to people early mm -hmm. because it's too stressful. You're right, by the way. You're absolutely right. It really does help. Like the fact that I can speak three languages 
really does increase my confidence when I go back to English. Because English is like, come on, that's easy. Like, for, in the same way French is easy for you. But I wouldn't recommend that for beginners. I would say at the beginning, do the random word exercise, build your momentum over time. And then, yeah, when you get advanced, like some crazy stuff that I do that you might know is that I can karaoke in eight different languages. Like I just have fun trying to pronounce words in Korean, which I have no, I don't understand a single word of. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's the more advanced stuff though. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely you have to take it uh, step by step. But, <laughs> yeah. I, but I think you were coming back to the idea of like... Um, feeling the fear like knowing that maybe what you say is wrong like grammatically or like now we're talking about language but for example let's say you're giving in a, a presentation about a topic that might be a bit controversial or not so socially accepted maybe is uh you need to find that courage to 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 talk about it and i actually wanted to ask you a question because i feel like nowadays a lot of people want to be unique and feel you know that need to be unique but at the same time they want to fit in and not be criticized so what would you say maybe to someone who wants to like um, share their ideas to the world even though they might be I don't know controversial but is held by that fear of uh, being criticized and having their image be um, you know having their image be uh, at risk maybe Absolutely. I think for me, the easy solution to this, I was like easy wins. Like I'm a big fan of easy wins. So for me, the easiest win is to find friends who are open to that idea and hearing those thoughts. So what I did in university was, you know, I was very selective about who I hung out with. I would meet 25, 50, 75, 100 people. And a lot of them didn't want to be contrarian. But there's a small group of people, five, seven, nine, you don't need a lot of people, by the way. I think this is what people get wrong about relationships. They think you need like a hundred people like this. I have like five of those people. Even today, I still have like like five of them, right from my from my university days. And those people were the people I pitched master talk to. Mm -hmm. I was like, "What do you guys think of this idea?" And three of them were like, "This won't work." And one of them was like, oh, "Maybe." And then the uh, the fifth guy was like, I, "I can see this working. This makes a lot of sense." So we would go back and forth. But even the three who disagreed still like gave me ideas. Like it wasn't like you suck, get out of here. It was like talk, convince me, like convince me of this idea. So so that's the key. It's really surrounding yourself with with a small group of people. That this you know I think it goes exactly to what you said before that I should start taking from you, which is nothing's black and white. You know you said earlier that you either have a passion or you don't. That's not how the world works, and I completely agree. I think the same advice applies here. You don't need to go from zero to now I'm starting a podcast. You can go from zero to let me tell three people about this. Let me tell. My first presentation was in front of two people for Master Talk. There's just two people there. My friend and the guy who didn't want to be there, right? Like literally, that's it. And then it, it morphed into what it is today. Yeah, definitely. Like that's something I, I try to remember often that nothing is black and white because I think that's really can be tricky if you if you think like that and i do agree with the step by step like if i take the example of this podcast um i consider myself someone more introvert so if you would have told me like i was going to do a podcast i would have been really are you sure and it's funny because a lot of people ask me the question how did you start the podcast but it's really easy actually i just had the idea and i did it i didn't think about it i just was like okay then let's just do it so i think that's yeah that might seem like an easy answer but it's it's the truth And I first started with like audio formats and this is actually the first video episode. So I think it's okay to, like you said, take it step by step and not just directly want to be, well, I don't know what you think about that, but directly want to be like a perfectionist and be the best. Um, yeah. Absolutely. My, my videos are horrid. 
and and that's why I still I still keep up my old videos on YouTube. I still keep them posted, so people can't come back to me and say, "Oh, Brendan, you were just great right away." No, no, no. Go go watch my first video. I'm literally like this on a couch, uh, uh, and I wish <laughs> I was as well dressed as I am now. Like I clearly wasn't. I was like, uh, right? And like my late my what is it called a mic lapel? I think that's what the English word is. You, you, it was like here. Mm. It's like why was it there? Like it didn't make any sense. So, so yeah, we, we all suck at the beginning. I think the key is, to your point, you have that bias for action, and then you build your way up over time. Absolutely. Yeah, and we also go back to uh, when we started the episode talking about passion and, like, waiting for your passion to just, like, pop somewhere. If you wait to be perfect to start something, then you're just never going to start because you're never going to start um, and be perfect uh, directly. Um, but talking about also like doing videos because you obviously you do videos and you upload them on YouTube. I do the podcast. Um, what would you say maybe to people like us that create a lot of content online and find it difficult? Because now I'm talking, well, there's a camera, but I'm talking to you. So in the podcast, maybe it's a bit different, but especially if you're doing like YouTube videos and you're just talking to a camera, uh, how, how do you talk naturally when you're not talking to a physical person? Yeah, I have some tips, but I'll also be honest that I do cheat. Mm -hmm. And the reason I cheat is because I never film alone. Mm -hmm. So there's a guy behind the camera. It's my creative director. <laughs> so so it's actually easier for me to bring up the energy because I have an audience of one. I don't have an audience of 100. But yeah, but you're right. In the first year of YouTube, it was literally just me over there and on my couch alone. And there was nobody else there except my mom who was like, why are you making videos? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with Brenda? So I would say... If you have been presenting on camera for less than a year, don't worry about how you sound. Worry about getting the job done. Because even for somebody like me, because at the time when I started my YouTube channel, I had a lot of speaking experience, right? I had done a lot of competitions. I was a pretty good speaker, but I still sucked on camera, like really bad. I was pretty bad. So what I would, same thing, by the way, my first podcast, which I, start, I think I started guessing on podcasts, like right when the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. So something like a year or two ago, I sucked. Like I was on my first podcast and the guy was like, why are you on your phone? Like, don't you have a mic? I was like, what's a mic? <laughs> like, I didn't understand. Like, I didn't know what he was talking about. So, so yeah, we, we all suck at the beginning. I think the key is over time, you'll get better. That's the easy thing. But one tip I'll give for those of you who have never presented on camera, I wouldn't even worry about YouTube. For me, the easiest tip that I can give on camera presentations is simply this. Make a list of three people that you re you're really grateful for. So make that list for those of you who are listening to this episode. Just make that list. Who are those three people that you really admire in life? They could be your mom, your family, your close friends. And then next to each of their names, write down one thing you really appreciate about them. So let's say I was sending one to Nina. You know, Nina, I really appreciate the way you're interviewing me. I love the fact that you disagree with me on ideas. A lot of people don't do that as podcasts. So it's like one thing, right? I appreciate it, right? But here's the third piece. The third piece, Nina, is you open your phone and you send 20-second video messages to each of those three people. That's the easiest thing because what it allows you to do is it allows you to feel the impact. So just to give people an idea, I force my clients, who are mostly CEOs, to send that to all of their employees. So let's say one CEO is like, I don't want to do this. What, what will I look like? I literally go, open the phone and send it 35 times now. And then he just opens 35 videos and he starts sending them and he doesn't think about it. But then a day later, 
there's literally messages of people crying, like, oh my God, this means so much to me. And that is an important moment because it shows you the impact of the camera. If you don't see the impact firsthand, you won't be motivated to get better. So when that guy saw the videos and the, and the, uh, the feedback, mm -hmm. he was like, okay, I need to send videos like every week. And then he was motivated. So I would start there. Forget about the YouTube videos. Just start there. Okay. So then you realize you're not talking to a camera, basically, but you're talking to a real human being, someone. Bingo. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can. I've never thought about it, actually, but it's true that. But I don't know. It can, can it also be stressful in the sense that if you, for example, I don't know, let's say you have a, a hundred thousand followers, if you realize if you think about it too much, can it also do the opposite and then make you less confident on camera, do you think, or not necessarily? Mm, that's an interesting thought. I, I don't disagree with that. I think what I would say is, like, I'm, once again, I'm a, bag, I'm a fan of easy wins. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, some people have, you know, can, can tell me now that I seem a little bit fake on camera now. Not, not on a podcast interview, because it's more, like, impromptu versus like a YouTube video because I value people's time, right? So I'm, I'm very scripted in my YouTube videos. Even if I don't use a tele, like a teleprompter, I'm still like, I'm still thoughtful about how I go about the structure. But I, I think the key is I don't worry too much about that. I think you're better off on that side of the spectrum than the other way, which is just going like, I don't want to post at all. Okay, okay, yeah. All right, yeah, that I can I can definitely understand that. It's true that, um... I initially had more of the thought, okay, it's better if you don't realize that you're talking to so many people so that you keep that like natural vibe. But I can also understand that if you do realize that you talk to more people, then maybe you find the motivation to um, share the message even more, I guess. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to have that, that point of view, uh, for sure. And. Maybe just to go back to like your advice on um, when it comes to public speaking, um, I'm going to ask again now more of like a more basic, simple question. But what would be for you the like main points that someone need to think about when they're going to... Because we talk also about presenting like at university, but not just presenting at university, also with friends or family, more like also informal settings. What should um, What should someone think about like the priority? Yeah, great question. So here's the way that I break this down, Nina, is presentations and more specifically communication is a multiplier effect. What does that mean? That means communication has different layers. One of them is, to your point, presentations, conversations, guesting on a podcast, hosting a podcast, like there's different things that you can do. So the way that I see it is as you get better at one, you get better at all of them. So for example, if you got better at presentations, you're going to smile more. You're going to say less ums and ahs. This is not you. This is everyone, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, right? Tonality is going to change. Pacing is going to change. But as you get better in presentations, your conversations get a little bit better because you'll smile a bit more. You'll say less fillers when you're talking to people that's at a coffee shop, etc. And then that will make you better. And then you'll get to the next pillar, which is you'll also be more talented at hosting a podcast because you'll have you'll have a lot more pauses you'll let's say speak more same thing if you guest on a podcast so that's the way i think about it but i would say the easiest pillar to master by far and the priority to your point should definitely be presentations that's the easiest win for most people because most people aren't really good at presentations so it's easy to see the improvement 
because in conversations it's hard to see kind of your progression because you're always talking to different people and you can't really see yourself have a conversation with somebody else it's like hard to measure whereas with the presentation if let's say the random word exercise if you do that a hundred times it's so easy to see the progress same thing with hosting a podcast i'm sure when you look back at episode one of your show and you compare it to, to your skill now you go yeah i'm way better than i used to be so those are some things that people can do okay yeah so you don't need to like go to university and have a presentation or i don't know be uh, in a work setting that requires you to present in front of your team even if you're by yourself you can also practice then your your presentation skills i'm sure that's also um nice to know for the people listening to us and we didn't talk too much about well you just explained now that um practice is very important we didn't talk too much about the um, the gift of public speaking if i may say it like that but i would guess that your answer is that with practice comes perfect so if anyone is listening to this podcast and thinks yeah okay but me i'm really really bad so maybe i shouldn't even try you know because even if i practice i'm just naturally bad uh what would you say maybe to motivate that person yeah you know it's kind of it, there's a funny joke i heard from somebody else i forgot who it was but it's not for me and and he, what he said nina was you know and you know when we were babies and we tried walking Uh, and we kept falling down. We might as well just give up, right, and keep crawling the rest of our life. So, mm-hmm. so same thing. You know, we all got up. We all figured some stuff out. So, I think the same thing applies with with communication, right? Every single person that is worried about communication, I can guarantee you, has done the random word exercise less than ten times in their life, hundred mm-hmm. percent, right? But if they did it, and by the way, this is one of the techniques. There's like a bunch of tactics I can teach, but that doesn't really help people too much because then they get over flood. But I think the the key is, and the reason I keep repeating it is, there's a great quote by Alex Hormozzi, who's the author of Hundred Million Dollar Offers, and I love what he says. He says that we must be reminded more often than we are taught. We must be reminded more often than we are taught. So what does that mean? That means simply that even just because you know something doesn't mean you're applying it in your life. So here's here's an analogy I give on podcasts. Mm-hmm. There are three types of people listening to this episode right now. Three types. Okay. <laughs> the first type. Okay, are listening to the random word exercise. They're listening to, okay, how would the world change? How would life change if you became an exceptional communicator? They listen to it and then they forget. The second type of person, which is very versatile, we're talking like 10%, maybe 15%, okay. are taking notes as we're speaking right now. So they write down the question. Oh, that's a nice question. That's not bad. I never thought about that. How would the world? Oh, right away, they write it down. But then they don't do anything with the notes. And then there's the third type of person. Which is a very tiny, tiny, and the reason I can say that so confidently is because I've listened to thousands of podcast episodes, mm-hmm. right? Literally, it's like a very small percent, maybe like two percent, one percent, whatever the number is, are taking notes and then looking at the notes after the show is over and are going to say, "I'm going to do the random word exercise with my kids if they have kids, or my nieces, my nephews, like once or twice." Or three times. You know that uh, how the world would change? Question. I'm going to reflect on it for ten minutes. So all I have to say is be person number three, and you'll immediately get results from this podcast. Yeah, I'm sure people right now listening might be thinking, "Oh, which person I am? Normally, am I person number one or two?" So now you're saying be person number three, and um, yeah, it's it's the same thing. It's it keeps going back also to the passion. Just uh, take action and um, and do do the work. Uh, just to to finish this episode because uh, like I like I like I told you when preparing this episode, this podcast is about passions and wellness and how passions can help you 
overcome your your fear and uh, live the life um, that you want to live. So could you just tell us maybe in a few words how you think mastering the, even though you have explained it obviously throughout the podcast, but just to give us a conclusion how you think um, mastering the art of public speaking has helped you in in your life and um, yeah as simple as that absolutely you know you know the way i always teach it the way i always think about it communication is so much more than giving a presentation at work it's so much more than guesting on a podcast it's so much more than just speaking on a stage it's every single interaction you will have until you're dead like every single one the way that you talk to you know, your cousins, your nieces, your family, the way you talk to a stranger at a park, the way that you talk to a flight attendant on a flight, like every little thing that you do in life, from the emails that you send, the texts you receive, to the way that you, con you converse with people in different settings, is communication. So the way that your life gets impacted is the following. If you get really good at communication, it impacts all areas of your life. And I'll give you a personal one. You know, I've lived with my mom and my sister. They're upstairs, right, my whole life. And I can proudly say me and my sister haven't gone to an argument in over 10 years. Like, we just don't argue. Same thing with my mom. We don't argue. Like, if we have an argument lasts, like, a couple of seconds, why? Because we're great communicators. So if there's a problem, we bring it out in a very calm, confident way, and then it gets killed right away. So there's never any tension. So, yes, I live a very happy life. So, yes, I encourage all of you to master communication, not just for your personal goals, your professional goals, but also just to live a fulfilling life. Well, I'm sure those are great um, words to, to finish the episode. Uh, thank you very much, obviously, for being a guest on this podcast. And I learned a lot from this episode, so I'm sure the listeners also, also did. I think we um, addressed a wide range of topics from talking about passions to um you know the the fear that comes with public speaking to public speaking in a language that is not our mother tongue to now how public speaking can benefit us in our life in our personal and professional life so yeah i don't know if you have a, a last word maybe that you would like to to share yeah absolutely i mean i could, I could leave people with the book <laughs> recommendation that i think yeah. is awesome people should check out thirst by scott harrison i think scott harrison is an absolute savant when it comes to storytelling nonprofit and how to market a brand and the reason I always recommend it is because it's so underrated like a lot of people recommend Dale Carnegie's books all that stuff is great but I really think Scott is the person we should all learn from he's very practical and he has a great quote in the book that I can end with and the quote is the goal is not to live forever but rather create something that will so be sure that you create something important with your life great well thank you very much uh, just for the listeners, where can they find you then on YouTube? It's Master Talk, and on Instagram, is it uh, also Master Talk or? Yeah, absolutely. So, so two easy ways, and thanks for the great conversation as well, Dina. So the first one is YouTube for sure. You can type Master Talk in one word, and if you're interested in free coaching, I also do Zoom calls every two weeks where I coach people for free. And if you want to register for that, it's RockstarCommunicator.com. Do you coach also remotely, or is it uh, only in person? It's all remote. Yeah. It's all remote. Okay, so anyone, anywhere can uh, contact you then. Yeah, you got it. And join those free trainings. Yeah, anyone <laughs> can do that. Great. Well, thank you very much once more. 
And to anyone listening to the episode, make sure to check out the YouTube channel Master Talk. Then you will get a lot of information, short videos, but very uh, useful ones on a lot of different topics that have to do with public speaking. Thank you, Brendan, one more time. And then um, I wish everyone a nice day and I'll see you all in the next episode of The Life They Live.